Hey there, Shiro listeners, Saturn Dave here, reminding you that you must play Sega Saturn, and that it's contributions from listeners like you that help keep this and our other shows hosted and available on demand. In addition to our website, SegaSaturnShiro.com, where you can find all of the most up-to-date news and information from around the Sega Saturn scene. If you'd like to show your support and gain access to several perks, visit Patreon.com slash Shiro Media Group to become a Patreon supporter. If a monthly donation isn't possible, no worries. We still value your support in liking and sharing our content on social media and joining our Discord community to become a part of the Saturn conversation. Thank you for being a loyal listener and a part of this great community. And as always, Saturn Dave here from Sega Saturn Shiro, and today we're pulling from the Shiro archive an interview with TJ Davis, the vocalist on the Sonic R and Metropolis Street Racer soundtracks. This interview was recorded on August 26th, 2020, and the Shiros who conducted this interview are myself, Patrick Trainer, and Peter Malik. This interview has been uploaded for archival purposes and may be used with permission. We hope you enjoy. So without further ado, TJ Davis. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Really excited to have you on. We've been talking about it for a while. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could get TJ Davis on? And at one point, it was just something we were throwing out there. And so it's kind of amazing that we were able to get you on the cast. I mean, for anybody who who might not know that name right off the top, she is renowned for doing the amazing, amazing vocal tracks on the Sonic R soundtrack, as well as Metropolis Street Racer uh, with Richard Jacques. And... She also has a huge back catalog of, of working with several different artists. So yeah, we're going to take some time to talk to her about her career and then just her work with Sega and what she has planned for the future and just a few other things. So oh, I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to do it. Yeah. I think we should start off with your favorite music artists and inspirations. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, um, oh, I suppose it's, oh gosh, there's so many. That's really, really difficult, actually. I mean, I always wanted to to sing. Um, I followed an awful lot of singers. I went through all the way through music college and then moved to London and started working with bands and doing different gigs, um, trying to get back in vocal work and then lead vocal work as well. Um, I was always mass. I'm, I'm a bit. I'm a big pop fan, and um, you probably can tell from the, the Sega songs, anyway. Um, I, but I love all styles of music. Um, I used to li- listen to lots of old sort of soul singers, jazz singers. Um, I'm a massive fan of singers like Aretha Franklin, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, but then also my idols are, you know, later on uh, people like Kate Bush, Annie Lennox. Alison Moyer, um, singers like that as well. Debbie Harry, a massive idol of mine. Mm. Um, but I always wanted to sing, and um, so that's that's what I did, really. Moved to London when I was 21. Was that Jump the Gap? Oh, <laughs> um, that was a band I was. Uh, we started when I first moved down to London um, with my friend David, who I still work with now. He's actually the keyboard player um, in Gary Newman's band. Um, and uh, we we were, we moved down to London together. Gosh, this is go, going back a long time ago now. Did all the club venues and the pubs and everything in London like you do, and just you know wanting to sort of meet an awful lot of people in the industry really. 
And then it sort of goes from there. You know, it was, it was before, obviously, the days of the internet that you could look things up and find out when auditions were happening. And um, in, in those days, you got a newspaper or it was word of mouth. Somebody would tell you, you know, at a gig or something or a live music night, oh, this, this, this audition happening and this is happening. And uh, it went from there, really. So you, that was the original networking. <laughs> yeah, it was. You mentioned the keyboardist was the connection to Gary Newman, right? Yeah. How do you get from Jump the Gap to Car Wash and then to World of Leather? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh my, you really, really have done your research, haven't you? Well, Jump the Gap was our first band um, when we first moved to London, when we got a band together. Um, and I was fronting that band. Um, and then I, at the time I was wanting to sort of, you know, meet as many people in the music industry as I could. So I'd started going to different um, auditions, um, World of Leather with 15 guitarists and two drummers, would you believe it? Um, I just did some backing vocals for a little while. Um, I was doing that. Um, and there were just lots of different things at the time, lots of bands. The music scene was, you know, very, very busy. It was quite saturated in London with lots of different bands, but the, there were loads of venues, so it was brilliant. Um, it's not it's not as this it's not as much anymore. Um and and then from there I had a manager who wanted to steer me in a bit of a different direction. He saw me as a bit of a ballad singer, which is something I absolutely do love. I, I love to be that sort of torch style singer as well. But I also wanted to get to know a lot of the music industry. I think I wanted to do a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, and then my first my first big, big tour was um, Gary Newman. I was his backing vocalist in 93. Um, and um, after that, I, I think that opened quite a few doors for me, really, because I got to know an awful lot more um, musicians, producers, um, still doing my own stuff as well. But it, it took a little bit of a back burner at that point, because I think, to be honest, I was just really enjoying myself. <laughs> Ah. So I was just having great fun doing lots of backing vocals. Um, and then D-Ream came after that, um, and I was with them for a, a couple of years. And it was through D-Ream that I actually found out about the Sega job. Um, uh, the girlfriend of the percussionist in D-Ream um, went to college with Richard Jakes, and she said, oh, a friend of mine is is looking for a singer for um, a game. And I'm, you know, my, my brother's a, a big gamer, actually. I, but I didn't really know much much about it. But yeah, I was like, oh, like... great, sure, I'll I'll go and I'll go and meet meet him. And um, and that's where it came from. He got me to do a just one song, and we did a demo, and they, he played it to the big bosses, and they loved it. Nice. So what? Um... I imagine it must be interesting because I think that's around the time where the Red Book audio and sort of the vocals were becoming a big thing and more orchestral soundtrack compared yeah. to the dips and boops. So it's like, were you thinking like, oh, are they going to like digitize my voice or something? Or are they going to like decompress it? No, no, the only thing they did at the time, I mean, me and Richard, he, he's he was very similar to me. He's very, very musical, came from that musical background. So he was very much, he knew he had a real idea of what, what, what he wanted to sound like. You know, it was a, a racing game. It was a pop game. So the only thing he ever did was really track my voice. And then we do a few backing vocals here and there as well. But we worked really well together. We, you know, it was quick, I think, because he knew exactly what he wanted. And and, and that was good for me too. Um, but I, I just never expected it to 
blow up like it did, to be honest. I just, you know, it was amazing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, was that the before or after you worked with Blur? Ha. Uh, Blur was just, I, oh, I'm just trying to think now. I'm trying, it's, it's the timeline of it. I can't actually remember. I think Blur came just before, um, before I did the Sega game. Um, I, cause I think the Blur was in 95. Funnily enough, that song has just been played on the radio, which is bizarre. Played what about song is it, if you don't ago. mind me asking? I did, uh, the Universal on the Great Escape album. Right. So I worked with Blur with that with my um, my my sort of singer mate at the time. We were doing quite a lot of backing vocals round and about London for people like Zig Zig Sputnik and uh, Mark Almond from uh, Soft Cell. Um, we were doing quite a few, uh, and I just got a call um, from the producer saying, "Could you come down and do?" And I thought it was a joke. I didn't actually believe it because at the time Blur were just this massive, massive band. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I thought somebody was joking on the phone. I didn't believe it, and I, <laughs> I started laughing and nearly put the phone down. <laughs> did you get the? You ever get to meet Dam, Damon Albarn in the group? I did. Well, I was with the band in the studio when we did it, and Damon was in the recording booth with me and Ange, my 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 partner in crime and my singer friend, when we both did the vocals. Um, and he he sang it how he exactly he wanted it, even down to the accent of the the song as well, how he wanted it to sound. So yeah, all the band were in there with the producer Stephen Street. Nice, that's really cool. I'm a I'm a big fan of Blur and the Gorillas myself, so that's kind of cool to hear. Oh, it's just do you know what they're amazing? What fabulous writers, honestly, just such a good band. So you had mentioned how it was that you sort of heard about the job, you know, to do the the stuff for Sega and. You ended up getting to meet Richard. So, so you know, talk to us a little bit about what that was like. So, you said you made a demo tape, and yeah, it had. Um, it was um, uh, Supersonic Racing. You know, the first. I think mm-hmm. it's the first track, isn't it? And we just did a. He played me something. I, I we we went into the studio and just I sang it, and then he had to play it to the bosses, and they came back and they loved it. And at that time, I wasn't sure whether they were going to use. You know, they they could have actually got somebody else in to sing it I suppose a name artist or something because I wasn't really well known or anything so to be able to you know they they re- trusted Richard with doing the rest of the album they said love it they thought my voice fitted the the tracks so that was great um, and that that was it really that's where it where it all started that would have been 97 I think it, oh so yeah it was later yeah so they made the, the it's my understanding they did the sonic racing the, the supersonic racing demo for the E3 reveal. And they also partnered it with a Japanese Christmas ad featuring the game uh, and the Sagata Sanshiro character. And Yuji Naka, who was developing the game, he liked your vocals so much that he requested that you be featured over the entire soundtrack. And actually, Sega, during the, during the Saturn generation, Sega did actually bring in quite a lot of quote-unquote no-name artists uh, that ended up doing amazing jobs on like the Burning Rangers soundtrack. And so, so that was kind of typical um, if they went outside their own sound teams uh, to get yeah. artists that, you know, they could just have like these new artists that would end up having like big careers following. Yeah, that's really, it is really good. I mean, they, they could have gone for a name artist, couldn't they? But they, they didn't, they trusted me to do it, which obviously was a big honor for me. Um, and it was great to do. Honestly, when I first heard it for the first time, I thought it was Gloria Estefan. 
I'm, oh, I'm that's not, a nice compliment. And I mean, I, I keep <laughs> listening to it and I'm like, you know, seriously, she's got the same chops as Gloria Estefan. You know? Oh, that's really nice. A few a few people have actually said I sound a bit like her, to be honest. I've had that before. So that is a huge compliment. Thank you. But I think it's when you're doing a certain thing. Like I, I've heard you in other other things that you've recorded where you're not you're going for something different and you know so I, I would say you can sound like her but you don't necessarily always sound like her well Richard had a definite sound for the I mean it was a, it's a racing game of course as you know um mm -hmm. and it was it was a very it was quite a hard vocal in a way I mean I'm you know a lot of the time I have to sing a lot softer but it was something that had to be really quite punchy I mean down to even when I was doing because I did all the little voiceover bits and and I'm from the north of of the country and I say certain things like dance instead of dance mm -hmm. um, and little bits I had to change to make it sound a certain way as well so I mean that was you know so he had a, a definite vision of how he wanted it to sound and we we just happened to work really really well together and we've we stay in touch to this day and we've met up and you know it's it's great so I'm really really hoping that when everything opens up again we are going to do more stuff together because I'd love to do that and it's Jakes, right? I heard you say Richard Jakes. Jakes, yeah. It means I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't mind. I think a lot of people say Jacks, actually. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, what were yeah. your fondest memories of that time working with him? Um, uh, for the, like, the week, I guess, that you spent in the studio. Well, we just have we'd have a giggle. I mean, it was very much, you know, at, at the time with the first one, Sega didn't have a studio set up at the offices where they were they were based. So we were put when we were actually recording it properly. Once we'd gone through all the songs, and I knew, you know, what roughly what I was doing, we were we went to Metropolis Studios in Chiswick in London. Oh, and we just had a ball. It wasn't just, you know, it was us. There was a producer, there was an engineer, there was everybody. And we we just had a fabulous time recording it, really. It was it was fun. It was a giggle. We had the the, the game sometimes on a, on on the you know the screen so we could see how it was all gonna work. And um and uh, yeah, it was great fun to do, really. I just really enjoyed it. So something that I had an interest in is uh, you mentioned that you actually had to change some accents in the way you said stuff. And I noticed that a lot with a lot of British singers that they'll sort of sing American, I guess, with American pronunciations. I guess the only, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is like Rick Astley. I was curious, yes. is, that, is that like a common thing where that the, I, think it's just, I, I think sometimes it's the way you sing a song really they, they, they we do tr tend to sort of americanize it a little bit don't we i mean you'll get some singers that don't at all they might they'll stay with their you know if they've got a really strong accent that will come out but i just think in the way that you sing sometimes you do tend to change a few of the few of the notes and whether it's just a i don't even know whether it's a we sort of even notice that we're actually doing it sometimes. I never realized that maybe I have got a bit of an American accent when I sing, but I have. Um, and well, you mentioned a lot of your, you mentioned a lot of your idols are like Aretha Franklin. Yeah. If, you're, if you grow up listening to popular music and they're American singers, you might be subconscious about the fact that you're doing it. And also, I suppose you you want it to be. It's like if we talk about ABBA, you know, obviously Swedish, but the way they sang, you know, they did sound. They 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 got rid of the Swedish real Swedish accent because they could sound quite folky. But to make it sound poppier, they sang with a little bit of an American accent, and maybe that's one of the reasons. Yeah. I don't think it's done on 
consciously sometimes. I, I definitely for me, it was just the way that I, I sang, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I know a lot. Like I know a lot of like artists like were you know that at least like the Beatles for example, they like a lot of like American like rock and roll music, and I thought you know a lot of them might sing well, that way. Exactly. If you if you listen to any of them, I mean, they, you never really, they never really sang with uh, the Beatles. Didn't sing with a Liverpoolian accent, did they? Yeah, I think that I think the the, the most of it was like some of the later stuff, but like towards the earlier stuff and the more rock stuff, it sort of sounded more like Americanized. So I, I just thought it was like a. I was just curious because I wasn't sure if there was a like an active thing where it's like they're trained to sing more Americanized. Or- I, I actually wonder whether sometimes we, without even thinking about it, maybe it was, it, it's because it became quite a universal thing to do. So mm-hmm. to make it more easier on the ear, I suppose, just to maybe, or, or mm-hmm. even when you're singing, you're drawing certain words or songs, not, not drawing, that's probably a wrong word, but you're changing the little bit just to maybe fit the, fit the tune and fit the song itself. I don't know, but then you do get other singers that, that don't do that but it, it's very hard to to you, when you find out where somebody comes from it can be quite difficult can't it sometimes you you've no idea if you think of i mean with like lewis capaldi i don't know whether is he quite huge over in america now because he's a massive star here um but he's scottish and i can't hear his scottish accent when he sings i'm mildly familiar with him but i know what you mean yeah yeah we're, I'm, I'm curious though. Uh, you mentioned Metropolis Studios. Was the Metrop and probably not even related, but the Metropolis Street Racer session was that the same session or like? Uh, um, no, we, no, we did that about a year later. And by then, um, Sega had their studio set up at the offices, so I did all that there instead. Oh, okay. I had a full- Richard was still there working, so he actually had a whole full studio set up, and we did we did all Metropolis Street Racer over there. So was Richard fairly consistent throughout the recording session with what he wanted, or did his sort of vision, or did anything at all sort of morph or change as you guys were progressing? Um, I don't think so. I don't think anything really changed. I, I'd say that it was. I think he had a, he definitely knew and he was, you know, he was following guidelines of how they wanted it to be, but it was all him really. I mean, he had an idea, he'd, he'd written all these songs and he knew exactly well how they wanted it to um, sound. I mean, obviously I'd put a few ad libs here, here and there, and he'd let me sort of, you know, if I had an idea, of course he, he'd, you know, listen to it and see if it, it fit, but it was all him. Um, he knew exactly what he wanted for the for the game itself. Yeah, I was reading a an article. I think it was Gama Sutra. It was talking uh, to Richard about his, like where he was coming from with the lyrics, and uh, I guess he had a conversation with Yuji Naka, and Yuji Naka was very specific about the fact that he he wanted it while he wanted it to be English vocals. He still wanted it to retain that kind of sugary uh, J-pop feel which was yeah. hugely popular in Japan at the time and still yeah. still is to to some extent but i mean in the 90s j-pop was really really big and the the more sugary the more you know just um optimistic the the music was the better uh, they weren't really focused so he wrote all those lyrics himself is that correct he had to, and it had to be catchy it yeah. had to be one of those that you would sing back mm-hmm. certain ones you know things like can you feel the sunshine obviously you know it's one of those songs isn't it that once it's in your head it's in your head mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. that's it so um but yeah no he did he, he did the whole lot 
and he didn't want to he didn't want to bother creating different music for different markets um because some some markets like Japan obviously or even the UK you know might have responded really well to to the music whereas other markets might have opted for no vocals you know so he put that in he put in an option to turn off the vocals which i think ruins the game because like the, yeah, the soundtrack yeah your tracks no. are one of the best things about the game, honestly. Oh, I've had a few people, actually, somebody did ask me a while ago, they said, how do you feel um, when people say, um, you know, they prefer to play the game without your vocals? <laughs> and oh. I just thought, it's fair enough. I don't mind. It's if they want to, you know, I'm not going to get offended if it if it, put, it might, you know, maybe a vocal sometimes puts people off when they're playing the game. I've no idea. So, but that's not, I, I wasn't, I wasn't offended in any way. So that was okay. I said a quick question. Speaking of, can you feel the sunshine? There's one, there's one lyrics. There's one section. Uh, I think it's after the chorus where uh, it's like, when the sun goes down, I feel like I'm waiting. Is that a? It's not like it's a different voice. Is that you doing a little bit lower? Is that somebody else that did that? Uh, no, I, I, as far as I know, it's all me. Unless they added something in later that I haven't I heard. <laughs> but no, I think it's me. I got you. I just want to make sure it sounded a bit different when it was like, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Where it's like, it's really low and it sounds like a higher pitched voice. Yeah. I know oh. what you're talking about. It, it, they, there's yeah. a filter on there that does kind of make her sound. Uh, it's almost like uh, there's less bass and he almost put you through like an envelope filter or something. So, okay, okay. Yeah. but definitely it, it's, you know, tricks, studio tricks. Um, I guess but, you know, really different. So I wasn't sure if it, like there's another backing person on there or something. Oh, as far as I know, unless they brought somebody in later, but I don't think so. I think it was all it was all me and just me doing the backing vocals as well. Yeah, gotcha. To be fair to the industry at the time, it was really unheard of to have a, a soundtrack behind the gameplay that would have live vocals. You know, uh, at the time that there wasn't a whole lot like that. Even the uh, even the Wipeout series, which was a really popular racing series had like more electronica stuff going on in the background. Yeah. Uh, like the Prodigy and, uh, you know, the Chemical Brothers, but nothing with like full on vocals. So I think maybe subconsciously it was um, hard to get used to for some folks at the time. But I really yeah, I do think that for this game, it just, for, it, for some reason, it really works, you know? Yeah, it does actually. I mean, listening back to him, when I when I listen to some of the songs and I get things, you know, sent to me um, on Twitter a lot as well. I mean, watching, um, I had one recently with um, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, um, the big sportsman in, you know, obviously your country, mm -hmm. um, who's now a DJ. And I, I didn't know, he's known as DJ Shaq. You obviously, I, I, I was unaware, I have to say. But somebody had sent me him playing Can You Feel the Sunshine? And that just blew up for me because when I mentioned that I was the singer on it, I had so many lovely, lovely, lovely messages and people saying how how much those songs, they still listen to them now when they're on their way to work and years later and it, it got them through. Was, I think because it was so positive and they were so up, all those songs, it, it seemed to get people through a really rough time in their lives as well, which for me as a singer, and I I'm only singing them. I didn't write them. It was such a lovely thing to hear. It's really nice to know that, you know, they've, they've met, they've meant so much to, to so many. Yeah. And it really set up really the, pre the precedent of like Sonic sort of a musical, I, I guess the musical identity of it is that the whole, the whole full vocal tracks and great singers on it. So 
I guess it was sort of that, I, it was that stepping stone almost. I don't know if you guys sort of can see that. Definitely. Yep. Absolutely. It, it was, it was definitely a little unprecedented, but um, it set, it set, established a precedent for a lot of things moving forward, I think. Um, yeah. And those, those tracks are, are pretty timeless. If you ask me now, I know that I know I'm kind of biased, you know, I'm a Sega fan and I love Sonic racing and everyone here does. So you're in good company, but, and I know that this game isn't for everybody. It was kind of, it had kind of tough controls and it was a little divisive um, at the time of its release because what the, what the, you know, Sega crowd wanted was a traditional Sonic game. Instead they got this racing game, but um, I actually think that really it, it it is a great game and it has a lot of character and the music really just adds to that character without without these tracks i think i wouldn't feel the same way about it for sure yeah no i have to say that i think my favorite part of sonic r is actually the soundtrack if they ever release it on vinyl did, pat did you say they did release it on vinyl no but i want them to oh yeah Definitely. I'd like them to as well, actually. We, we have actually, I mean, I'm, I'm always saying to Richard that, you know, it'd be lovely. I mean, he's incredibly busy at the moment, recording lots of different things at the moment. But um, we, we are hoping to do something together. I'd actually really like to revisit some of these songs and maybe do new versions of them just to release, uh, you know, just to, to get together and do them again. We've, we've done a few concerts, if you like, together. We did a convention. Um, and yeah, then we, right, Summer we, of Sonic? That's it. And we also did a, um, it was a, like a sonic by candlelight in this church. And we did a few of the songs there. And I did a couple from Metropolis Street Racer as well. And that was really lovely. Just doing a bit of a stripped down version of the songs as well, because they, they do lend themselves to that, which was really nice. With Metropolis Street Racer, it was a little different situation where, if, if I understand correctly, there were like radio stations, right? And each radio station had several different tracks that you can flip through, kind of like the Grand Theft Auto series. And you yeah. basically were like the pop radio station. And I think you, right. you recorded something like 10 tracks for that game. And I've That's only just it. recently, I, I knew, um, I can still believe, and am I only dreaming? But all these other tracks, Don't Wait, Time, You Can Love yeah. Me, It Doesn't Really Matter. All these tracks are actually really great, and I'm only just... Um, listening to them now because playing the game you don't really hear you hear a, a like a number of different tracks you know a variety yeah. of different tracks but yeah so can you tell us anything about the those sessions well yeah i mean it was it was a bit different because obviously with son with with sonic um racing um track the, the tracks they were all very much we we knew exactly how they were going to be but metropolis street racer that took a lot a lot more because we had to think about the different styles and it was also at one point it was oh is it going to be okay for me to try and do this you know are they going to have to bring other singers in to maybe try the other styles you know it, it was it had to didn't have to sound different but it did if you know what I mean it, it yeah. just as if there were other people singing it so I found that one harder. It was great. It was still really good fun to do, but I actually found that harder to do because of that, really. Um, but I'm, I can still believe, I think, is um, that's probably my favourite, actually, from from that soundtrack because there is just a lovely, lovely song. Yeah, a couple of those tracks that you did actually do sound like somebody else. And I thought it was somebody else, and then I listened for a while, and I was like, okay, it's her, but she's, like, doing a different voice. Like, voice I had to do 
Oh, I had to a different name um, because I was signed by this point to uh, a band I'd started working with and we'd signed a record deal and um, when they asked me to do another one they were a little bit reluctant for me to have my name on something else at the time to be honest it wouldn't have really mattered as it it, everybody knew it was me anyway but I went under the name of um, Helena Davison I think it was just still having the Davis and Helena Helen is a name that I've got in my in my name anyway but then a few people said well that's obvious it's still her so (laughs) I don't really know why we did that but it was to keep the record company happy at the time that explains all of the incorrect discography listings online (laughs) I like there's so much there's so much uh discrepancy between different sites and I'm like who is this Helena person so that, yeah, I'm hoping we can set the record straight with this because <laughs> I'm, ar- I'm already getting a Wikipedia entry for, together for that uh, Blur song because I looked on there and it looks like you weren't credited in there. So it's not on Wiki, but it's on their um, all their credits on their on their different things. But it does say Teresa Jane Davis, which is my full name. So gotcha. okay, I have to ask you, Richard Jakes. He recorded a track for Sega Touring Car Championship called "So High." And there's okay. a female vocal on that, and it sounds like it could be you, but you're not credited, so I'm just wondering, did you record anything for that game? Was that before or after we did we did the um the Sonic stuff? Oh man, it would been it would have been that would that you would have been really close together those two. Yeah, I don't I can't recall it. I don't think it was me. Okay. Don't think so. But there was one actually recently. Somebody said um, it was me, and it was it was somebody that he'd worked with before, just before me, a lady called Debbie, somebody or other. And I had to put the set the record straight on that one because I was getting all these likes and retweets, and I thought well, that's not fair because it's not fair to Debbie because it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I said, oh no, actually that's not me. But I don't remember that one, so I think that must have been somebody else. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the things I, th- I thought was interesting about the. Uh... About about specifically the track Supersonic Racing is how uh yeah. how popular in the mainstay it is, and not only Sonic, but I mean, in, I don't know if you ever heard of the Super Smash Brothers games at all. No, I haven't. But uh, you actually fe- featured on three of them. On this, there's a Sonic level where you can. It's like a fighting game, and you and the track Supersonic Racing is featured in Super uh, three of them: Super Smash Brothers Brawl, Brawl, uh, the fourth one, and then the newest one that came out. And that's actually a track you can actually get. So I thought I thought it was really interesting how how that tracks really, I, I guess really sort of set and that's set for Sonic and that have that is yeah. in, like still in the mainstay. Uh, how do you feel about sort of that? Um, I think it's great. I mean, it's so lovely. Who would who would have thought after all this time? I definitely didn't. I didn't you know understand how successful it was going to be. And I mean the the fact that every single day I pretty much answer a question on Twitter about, you know, one of the songs or somebody sends me something and everybody loves it so much. I mean, what a great thing to be able to be part of. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud. I'm proud that it's out there and it's still being played. It's brilliant. Are, do you, have you played the Sonic game yourself or are you like, are you a fan or, <laughs> or not so much? Did you ever get a chance? I always get asked that and I have to tell the truth. No, I haven't. <laughs> 
um, I wasn't really into my my brother was like I said a massive gamer and he could not believe it when I got involved because he's thinking oh you know nothing about games whatsoever how on earth have you managed to get that job and he thought it was hysterical um, but no I haven't actually played the game I'm really sorry that's cool it would probably just frustrate you <laughs> yeah over <laughs> a little naff <laughs> I'll be, I'll be really honest. If I did play it, I'd probably turn my vocal off. <laughs> yeah. We'll get the uh, we'll get we'll get a Saturn to you at the next uh, next convention or something, and we'll get some fun little event going. Oh, do you know, it would be so lovely to do another one of those. I, I had such a nice time at the London one. I have been invited over a few times to different ones, but not quite managed it yet. But um, and obviously, with everything going on at the moment, there's not much chance of any anything like that happening, is there? But yeah, hopefully in the future. Absolutely. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that 2008 event, the Summer of Sonic? There's not a whole lot online about it. Really? Um, I mean, there's a few sort of bits, isn't there? Because um, oh, who was the singer? There was another singer as well, wasn't there, that I did it with? I can't remember his name. Oh, let's see. Was it uh, Bentley Jones? That's it, of course. I knew it would come come to me. It would have come to me eventually. Uh, yeah, I again, I'd, I'd made a joke to Richard that um, he was about the Sonic convention. And I said, you aren't, you aren't going to ask me to dress up as the hedgehog, are you? Because he used to always <laughs> joke that that's what I'd have to do if I came to do one of the conventions. Um, and instead, he, but then they, I got there and they had all these T-shirts. And, and I thought, oh, you know what? That would be great if I wore one of the Sonic T-shirts. And everybody was really happy that I'd done that. Um, and oh, it was lovely. It was a really lovely, lovely thing to do. There was just, you know, just with we had a bit of a backing track um, and Richard playing the piano and me singing. And then Bentley did a, a couple and it, it was just, I don't know, it sounds, sounds a bit corny, but a lot of love in the room. Um, I met lots of people and everybody wanted to, you know, talk that they, they had their story. And it was just so nice to see so many people together and enjoying the same thing, really. It was lovely. And I'd, I'd definitely do another one if I had a chance. Yeah, that would be awesome for you to do like a E3 or something like that. As a as a big fan of of ABBA, what would you say your favorite ABBA song is to sing, and which one is your favorite to listen to? Oh, that's a good question. Um, singing is um, is actually one that, that it wasn't released as a single, but we actually do it in our show called One Man and One Woman, and it's a beautiful song. It's really really lovely song. Um, to listen to, actually to sing as well is Name of the Game, probably. Oh, those are solid ones. I absolutely don't love Name of the Game. That's probably my favourite. Either that or Chikatita, which because it's just beautiful to sing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my family are big ABBA fans, so we, we, we always have them, we're always watching Mamma Mia and listening to stuff. So I always love, I always love the ABBA. I'm not like, I'm not like the, the, the massive, biggest massive fan, but I still love they got some solid tracks and they're good stuff. Oh, absolutely amazing. Again, and, and they're, they're the hardest songs to sing out of all the gigs that I do. Um, that, that gig is probably the hardest. That Those girls, that the way that they push their voices and, you know, in typical fashion, Dancing Queen is the biggest hit and it's always the one at the end and it's the hardest one to sing. And by the time you've done a two-hour show and you're right at the very end, oh, that's actually, you, you're really having to try and find some sort of strength to do that one. But you can't miss it off, of course. So, um, yeah, that's quite a difficult one. But it's, and as much as I absolutely love singing those songs, it is actually nice sometimes to come away from it and do do different things as well. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm hoping to do next year when uh, everything gets up and running again. 
Hopefully you guys will come stateside and we can see some cool ABBA tributes. Oh, that would be really good, actually. I'd love to. We were supposed to be coming over in August to do a private show. And, of course, everything got, got cancelled anyway, which was a shame. Yeah, all the conventions I usually go to, everything is, like, cancelled. All the shows, concerts. It's like, yeah. oh, what a bummer. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, of course. And it's got to be safe. And, you know, live music can't open up until we can actually have people close together. Because... It's too hard for everybody to, you know, a lot of people, there's an awful lot of people involved and it's got to be, people have got to be able to earn a living from it. And if you can't have festivals with people in together or anything like that, or even in venues, it's it's not going to work. So uh, let's fingers crossed with that vaccine, really. Really quick question about working with Richard. Was it basically all business or did you guys, was it really casual? Did you guys have fun together? Like, was it, you know... Um, like what was the atmosphere like yeah we did we used to um we'd finish a sort of a day's is um you know either rehearsal or recording and whatever we were doing and then we'd you know go and have dinner and then we'd go out for a drink and and then we uh, and there were also a lot of things i got invited to after we'd done the um so when when the the, the sort of the big bosses and you said the name earlier oh you do not okay. um they came over there was this big um it was at Chelsea Football Ground. I remember going and meeting quite a few of them then. There's oh, this wow. really fabulous, fa- fabulous night that I was invited to. And I used to get invited to sort of lots of these different events, which was really lovely. Really, really nice to be part of that. So I used to see Richard quite a lot socially as well, which was lovely because we did get on really, really well. I'm just curious, um, going back to 1994 with Shiva, um let sorry this is this is all going to connect eventually but with, with shiva you had let there be love and that was an electronic kind of house style track was was that your break into kind of the electronic dance kind of thing or were those bands we mentioned before like car yeah, wash did, yeah no no well, car wash that was all covers bands so car wash was a 70s music band um the the into dance what would have been dream now dream were a big hit and they had big number one hit um uh, quite a few hits actually in when i joined them in 94 okay uh, and they had a big hit that the labor party when they won the election in 97 they used the um the song things can only get better that was the right. really big hit um but it was it was dream when i when i first went into i'd started to do a little bit of recording that you know with different people i was asked to sort of guest vocal on dance tracks um and i'd also done one for um the full monty all stars called brilliant feeling which i think was a quite a big hit in australia I did really well over there I didn't really do much in the uk don't think it was released in america um and so from then and then i went for an audition with dream but that was backing vocals so then, then you had gary newman with dream corrosion right well gary newman was before then so oh, that, that was, was before okay i yeah. got my timeline wrong <laughs> <laughs> and then shiva um had just lost very sadly lost their lead singer she was killed in a hit and run accident um and they wanted they were thinking do we disband or do we get a new lead singer and they'd seen me with dream um and their management uh talked to our management and that's when i went for went to meet the boys and we started i was with shiva for about a year um and that's when we were doing all you know lots of the big festivals and and lots of uh mainly sort of dance big club club gigs and things but unfortunately we didn't really didn't release anything it didn't actually do 
as well as we hoped. We actually got back together again last year to do a festival um, over here, which was wonderful. I absolutely loved it because I really enjoyed doing that as well. Mm-hmm. And I am now back. I'm back with D-Ream as well. D-Ream are back together and we're doing a new album at the moment. Cool. So so what? Uh, you probably can't talk about that or... Can you talk? So you can tell us what what it's called, the new album. Uh, no, I can't. Well, okay. I'm I'm just the backing vocalist on this, so I don't know exactly what's happening. And of course, with lockdown, we're all dotted around. You know, the two guys, one's over in Ireland, another one's in Birmingham, and I every now and then he'll they'll just send me something through. I have to go and then record some vocals and then send it back to them. Mm-hmm. So we're doing it all remotely, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just starting. But we've got um, we should have quite a few gigs next year. We had a lot this year but of you know lots of festivals and um that was a, a bit disappointing that that all got cancelled but you know it is what it is um but yes next year we're supposed to be doing quite a lot of stuff which will be great so do you do you uh, actually have a home studio or do you go to like a a studio that's nearby and just record some vocals I actually want to have a home studio. My plan was when we got into lockdown, like everybody, you have all good intentions, don't you? And I thought, right, you know what? I'm going to set up. I'm going to start doing this properly. And I haven't. Um, But I do go to, there's people that I know nearby um, that can actually record my vocals for me. Um, So I've managed to do that with a bit of social distancing in between um, and uh, do a bit of vocal vocals there. But, um, you know, I might have to work from home um, for quite a while. So, I'm I'm thinking of getting a setup that I can actually do that because it'd be good for me to do because I do still write. Um, I've been listening to a lot of old stuff that I did that I've never I've never released, um, and that would be my plan for next year. I'd really like to try and um, release some stuff if I can. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, I know a lot of people, especially voice actors in the states, have their own little studios. Like they have like a sure uh, was it the SM 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 Seven B that little uh, dynamic mic I think. Okay, I, I something that I've I've always said I do, but I think because I'm always gigging, I've, I'm a live you know I'm a live girl really. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really got round to it, but it is something that I would really like to do, and I think that's the way it's probably going to go in the future anyway. Just for now, until we can open up again. I really like your solo single from 2001, "The Wonderful Life." That, uh, that hit pretty high in the UK charts, right? Um, no, it, I mean, it, it was a lot of success. Uh, it did really well in the dance charts. Oh, it did ever yeah. got an awful lot of radio play. Um, but they released it just before Christmas, and I probably not the best time. But it hit about I think it was forty two in the UK charts. So it, 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 I was hoping it would do better. But it's a cover of um, Black Black. The artist was called Black Black's Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Uh, and if you have a listen to that, so it's stunning. His his um beautiful beautiful original version and i just really really love the song so i'm glad that i i did a version of it anyway and then you recorded with uh sasha leperson uh was that sash the, oh, that was the, yes. the one where you recorded in egypt right that's right yes yeah um yeah i did that that was good that again what was that, that like Oh, um, going to Egypt was amazing. Yeah, that was absolutely fantastic. We actually um, filmed the video in a pyramid, which was just stunning. It was absolutely gorgeous. It was all quite crazy. It was all so rushed and we had only a couple of days there. And then I was going home to carry on. I was on a tour at the time with somebody else. And uh, um, but that was lovely to be asked to do that, to do the album um, was really good. Actually, I just did a couple of songs, but um, Believe was the one that... uh, 
I think they released. I think they released over in Germany. It didn't get released in the UK though for some reason. But that's you in the music video, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, which of the Sonic songs that you sang uh, are is your favorite, or is is that even not a thing? You like them all equally? Um. Gosh, well, I was thinking about this the other day. Well, from Metropolis, it was I can still believe. I think from Sonic. I mean, obviously, I know. Can you feel the sunshine really well? I do like um, living in the city. My favorite. Um, and there's a, yeah, there's another one. Um, somebody mentioned the other day, and I thought, oh, what's that? Yes, that's that's, that's a really lovely, that's very that's very up, isn't it? Yeah really really up and then and then the last one as well the 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 last the final track um somebody had put it on my timeline on twitter the other day and i remember thinking oh god i really like that one wait um, is it uh back in time or work it out it'll be back in time back yeah in time. that's the one yeah i did think that was the name but i, I didn't want to get it wrong <laughs> um so yes i really like that one so yeah i think richard really likes i think living in the city is one of his his favorite ones that he did and a lot of people don't mention that one so it's um he was he's really thrilled when people mention that one so when i play the uh the racing track where the living in the city plays it like at first it didn't seem to make sense to me and i it, like i couldn't get into it but then eventually when the game itself clicks and you're able to play it well and properly suddenly the music just goes so well with the track and it's just it's fantastic so I think uh, it's definitely my favorite out of uh, all the Sonic ones, and it's just such a, yeah. such a nice track. No, it is. It is really good, actually, and it's been it's been really nice just to you know, like I said, with um, DJ Shack um, playing some, and, and then you know, a few people have been sending me different versions of different songs that people that have done. I I really enjoy listening to that as well, but I don't think Richard or myself thought when we when we saw how many you know youtube views and people commenting on the songs i don't think he ever for one minute thought it would be as big as it is yeah i mean it this says i mean it just goes to show the power of the music and how great those tracks are produced I absolutely mean, I, I mean i'm still jamming with my car just driving listening to listening to like uh it doesn't really matter cruising down the street so it's oh that's nice <laughs> also the power of positivity you know these these tracks are like you said very up very positive um, they fill uh, people with hope and inspiration. And I think that maybe at the time they were released, it was uh, a more cool, you know, it's not cool to be vulnerable or it's not cool to be, you know, like so sweet, you know? And so maybe people looked at it that way. And now that people yeah. have grown up and we're all like, you know, have kids and stuff, we realize, you know, these tracks are actually really good, you know, and there's nothing wrong with these lyrics, you know, if it, if it um like my guilty pleasure on on the sonic r track is the last is the credits track number one it's like all yes. i need is you <laughs> i love yeah, that yeah. track it it it's corny but in a good way you know yeah yeah absolutely and there's nothing wrong with I, for me I, with music i just there's a lot of music snobbery isn't there there always is i mean you know you'll have somebody that says oh i can't believe that you're into that and i don't think there should be i think everybody should just listen to what they want to listen it doesn't matter it doesn't you know as long as something everybody has their own personal relationship with different songs and mm -hmm. i yeah i don't really like any sort of musical snobbery and it, it does exist yeah <laughs> I think pop gets a, a bad rap sometimes. I just think, you know, really, it's it, 
it's there's something there for everybody, isn't there? And that's how that's what music should be, really. Yeah, today's pop is is uh, tomorrow's sort of a uh, classic classical music and classical music piece. I mean, because I mean the Beatles. Were, I mean, going back to the Beatles, they're the same way in ABBA. It's like all oh, that yeah. pop music and trash. And it's like nowadays these are like legendary bands that are probably going to go down in history the same way that you know Tchaikovsky and all those other people went down in. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there were certain certain artists that you know composers that they thought were ahead of their time, didn't they? And certain ones that were actually dismissed as well for being maybe too flimsy. And you look back now and you think, wow. But look at Abba. You know, back to Abba again, back in the sort of seventies and then early eighties. You know, as soon as everything else, um, when music started to change, they were seen as. I, re- I remember being incredibly unpopular at, at one point at school. I was a massive Abba fan when I was a kid um and you know i was still into stuff and i was oh i can't believe you're you're still into that sort of thing and i i became quite embarrassed by it because it was seen as corny and it was seen as ridiculous but now people look back and so many artists have said they were influenced and big artists influenced by abba and you can hear it in some of the songs as well um so yeah a musical snobbery for me <laughs> yeah i have the same thing with the beach boys with uh, brian wilson it's like it's like, no, he's really good. It's not just surf music. Oh, gosh, amazing. Oh, no, he's a genius. Yeah. Stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, but I'm, I'm glad it's sort of turning a little bit now with the internet. A lot of people say, oh, music is dead, but I mean, it's more alive than ever. I mean, we have people listening to everything. There's every single kind of combination of music and yeah. just all these other people that just can't afford studios just writing stuff in their bedrooms and producing music. I think the only thing, the way that it's going to work, though, now is because with you know artists not being able to go out and tour streaming has got to change um the artist has got to start getting paid properly um and i i think a lot of a lot of um writers and artists are actually imploring people to go out if you by all means use streaming to listen to lots and lots of different um you know um, types of music but if you like something go buy it because then it'll going especially for new artists you know people that are up, you know up and coming and they're trying to get their their stuff out there they can't be giving it away for free all the time um because the music industry has got to try and survive and it we've been badly hit really badly hit during this time mm-hmm. um, so i think it's important that that happens really and it will it'll, i think it's all being turned on its head at the moment really yeah now now with all the covid and all this stuff and just it's just a at a boiling point that you know these streaming services i mean they're paying artists pennies on the dollar and it's like it's like once all the trickle downs there it's like artists don't get really anything so i've been trying at least my hardest to sort of buy albums and i know especially with uh and now nowadays like a lot of people get into the vinyl stuff and i think hopefully that's been helping out a little bit with that absolutely it's funny how things come full circle really everybody wants vinyl again it's cool it's cool yeah it sounds great it does sound great. It sounds amazing. You know, and art, artists have always had the short end of the stick. You know, the the prod- production companies and yeah. the, you know, the record labors have always, it seems, gotten the better end of the deal. And I think I definitely want to echo what you said. If if people out there enjoy music, they need to support the artists, you know, uh, and do it in the most direct way that they can. You know, if the artist has a website, buy it from their website, you know, 
give exactly, them the yeah. money so that they, I, which leads me to my other question is um, you mentioned a future of uh, TJ Davis recording, you know, and, and possible future songs. Do you have a Patreon or anything where people can support your recording? I haven't at the moment, but I, I do actually, it's something I want, I want to do. I'm going, what I've been doing in lockdown, I've been listening to a lot of old stuff that I did that I never released. I'd written loads and loads of songs um, ages and ages ago that I think because I got busy with other things and then I was touring and I was gigging, I was just earning a living, really. I I'd right. put it on the back burner. I, I never really had an awful lot of confidence putting my own stuff out there, really. Um, I was quite happy to sing other people's songs. But, you know, I'm feeling a little bit different about it now. And I think it might be time for me to look at that. And a friend of mine is doing the Patrick. Is it Patreon? Pa- Patreon. And yeah. I think Gary Newton's doing it actually for his new for his new album as well. So I've got plenty of people that I, you know, as I'm still mates with Gary, and you know, we can he can uh, sort of steer steer me if I decide I want to to do something like that anyway. But I need to get it together. I need to sort of you know give myself a kick <laughs> to do it. Really, I'm sure there are a lot of fans that would be interested in supporting that. Oh, I know. Well, a few people have said that to me, and and again, you know, if I if I were if I was to do something like that, I'd like to think that I could take lots of different styles of things I've done and rework some of the Sega songs. That's what I'd really like to do and put them on there. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping. Me and Richard have been talking about hopefully doing something in the future. So uh, when we can meet up and discuss it, that'll be good. Yeah, and if you if you guys have any interest in releasing the or trying to work with a Sonic R soundtrack and putting that on vinyl. I know, uh, I know a couple uh, record guys that do the, the the limited vinyl pressing stuff. So, if you need like any people to talk to or work with Sega, you can hit me up and I can give you their contact info for that. Fantastic. I think that would all be down to sort of Sega, wouldn't it? Really. Anyway, yeah. I'm surprised they actually haven't really to sort of put it out um, as a you know a proper soundtrack that people can buy. You know, on vinyl. Really, I'm quite surprised they haven't done that. Yeah, they've done it for a couple other ones, like the Sonic Adventure one and two, and some of the older ones. But I think I think a lot of the the video game music still doesn't have like the. I, I guess a lot of people are worried that it might not sell as well. But I mean, with all these records coming out and the video game yeah. violence stuff being the biggest it is, I mean, if Shaq is spinning it, <laughs> then I yeah, if Shaq's spinning it. Why yeah. not? Absolutely. You know, they kind of sit on their IPs though. You know, they're kind of slow to to drag out their older IPs and really put them to use, you know? So this is uh, one that I think would be a home run. Mm-hmm. Nice to think it would do really well, wouldn't it, really? Then maybe we could do a live show of it as well. That would be my dream. Oh, That'd man. Really- I'd, I'd to have do. to go to the, I'd have to fly to the UK to, <laughs> to see it. We'll, we'll do, we'll <laughs> do a Shiro trip there. We'll to the yeah. US to do that. I think we should. That would be amazing. <laughs> we can at least dream. <laughs> I was curious if there was any difference between producing the game soundtrack versus the sort of like a, a a studio album if there's any like like you know if you have to like loop or if they get it to loop or anything like that I, I, I wouldn't to be honest for me no i i would say it was no different to anything else i've ever recorded i mean the way that obviously with vocals it, it's something that every every sort of producer has their different way of of, of wanting something to sound um, a certain way. I know my vocal. We we track my vocal quite a lot to make it sound as strong strong as it could be for the game. Um, but no, there was no, nothing in particular that I, c- I could think of that was different. Just had to make sure that it all matched that little 
hedgehog running around. Did did you have if you had the you now have the opportunity to maybe pass along a message to uh, all the fans that have sort of been playing that Sonic game and enjoying uh, you know your vocals all these years? What would you say to to the fans? Oh, do you know what? I I think I'd say thank you for so much support. Um, it's an absolute pleasure for me to hear how important those songs have been to people and how much joy they've got out of them. And if anybody ever wants to ask me anything, just catch me on Twitter and, you know, on, on my website, my, you know, just, you know, get in touch. I love talking to everybody and I'm just really, really proud to have been a part of it. So you said anything. So uh, I'm going to ask you anything. <laughs> this might be an outtake. This might be an outtake, but can you tell me about your PVC trousers and Gary Newman? Well, that is a very strange question. What do you want me to what do you want me to say? What 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 I, I read a blurb on your on your bio. This is not I'm not digging up information. This is just available on your bio and it was something yeah. about catching fire on stage with Gary Newman. He he made you wear rubber pants or something like that. I just thought. Oh, no, you no, know, he actually asked me when I first met him, um, did I have anything in rubber? Oh, okay. That's what he actually said. He actually said, and I I actually ended up with some PVC trousers that I did actually rip on one of the gigs. Oh God, that would have been um, uncomfortable. Yes. Yes, so that that wasn't good. But yes, one of the first things that Gary ever asked me was, did I have anything in rubber? Okay, so there wasn't anything with a fire or anything like that. I don't think so. I okay. don't know. Unless somebody's My actually- was bad. <laughs> <laughs> there was also something about a backstage conversation with the Shiva tour manager that ended up on mic. Oh, where did you get that from? <laughs> is this actually, oh God, is this actually on my website? Yes, it is. All right. Because I did actually talk about that, funnily enough, I think on Twitter a while ago. Uh, yeah, we were <laughs> we were on a tour and uh, we were doing a gig and things were going really badly. Everything, nothing was going right. And we it was one of the things, everybody was tired. I didn't feel that we were being treated very well on the tour at the time. We were. It was when dance music and they were trying to do a bit of a live act, but it was all about the DJs and... And obviously, as a singer, that's actually quite difficult. And I was having one of those days that nothing was going right at all. And I'm normally quite, you know, I, I don't normally sort of kick off at things. But I, I, we'd been sat there for three hours with nothing happening in this um, in this venue. And I, I could feel the tears coming. And I had a radio mic in my hand. And I passed it over to the tour manager and said, I need to go outside and have a breather. Because I, I could feel the tears coming. I didn't want to cry. And I got outside and he followed me out. And as he followed me out, I just, I actually just said how I felt about everything, how I felt that we weren't, you know, it wasn't fair. I didn't feel that, you know, they were taking live music seriously on the gig. And we, I don't know why we were there. He had the microphone behind his back and it was still live. Ooh. And everybody in the venue heard me. Um, two of the band members, one of them ran to the deck decks to try and turn my vocal down. The other one said, no, leave it because everything she's saying is completely right. And we totally agree with her. She's saying how we all feel. Um, but when I walked back in, nobody dare tell me that that's what happened, but they'd all heard me. Um, oh God. Very upset. So that was actually really embarrassing and I felt awful after, but it is actually really funny now. You can laugh about I, it now. I didn't say anything that wasn't true, but I shouldn't have probably said it. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, he had the mic on behind his back and he couldn't turn it off. So everybody heard what I was saying. Oof. Hope did uh, were, were the things uh, after that sort of uh, get better at all, or was it? It was just thing? a bit frosty, I think, for that day. It was very sort of uh, <laughs> every nobody really knew what to say. Um, but funnily enough, after that, I told I told a friend of mine who um, was in the music industry, and he at the time there was a, a very um, a big magazine called DJ Magazine, and he knew the editor, and he said they, they actually um, got in touch and they said you know, we're talking about the sort of the disparity between what DJs are being paid and how much live music's being, um, you know, they're being paid and would you be willing to talk about it? And I didn't really, you know, I, I was upset at the time of how things were going, but I didn't really want to get into a big argument or anything of how things work in that industry. So I declined, but another band that were on the circuit at the same time as us did, they, did, they actually did an article in the magazine saying that it had to be fair how um, everything was being paid out really because um, live um, acts were being paid peanuts basically they weren't being paid much at all to to do these tours um so yeah, yeah. I sort of triggered a little bit of an argument there but you know that's it, a cool story though <laughs> you know um, after a long time yeah adds, I, think forgiven me now. I think it's fine I don't think anybody it's probably just me that cringes and remembers it the rest of the band thought it was hysterical so I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and taking your time to talk to us about all this stuff. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been it's been really nice. That's no, I've been re- I've really enjoyed it. It's been nice talking to you. We really feel that the there wasn't a whole lot of history preservation in games back in that time. You know, people didn't really realize the importance of preserving these stories. And so we, we really feel that it's important to preserve um, the histories of the people that went into making these games and, and even getting to talk to you and go further with your career and stuff like that. It really helps paint a picture for people. So when they hear the name TJ Davis, they don't just, think it's an arbitrary name with a game you know they realize that um you know you are you have a wide career you know and um just it's it's really interesting talking to everybody that we've we've been very fortunate to be able to interview folks that have um you know that have contributed in making these games and so we're very honored to be able to preserve this history oh that's really good yeah also did you have anything that you'd like to to plug before we head out just to sort of let people know what you're up to and sort of get them right now i'm i'm getting my head down a little bit and looking at doing some writing and recording um obviously the the band that i work with dream like i mentioned before we're hopefully out on the road next year um i'm still doing lots of live live work that's what i'm i'm hoping to do um but right now it's just i suppose watch this space um um that's where we're we're at at the moment what's your twitter handle if people want to follow you Teresa Jane Davis. Teresa Jane Davis. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. It's really nice to talk to you. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yep. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Bye. <laughs>